0: Hello and welcome to this week's Golf Shake podcast with me, Kieran Clark, alongside my good friend and colleague, Owen Davis, who this past weekend was actually down in the south-east of England at Kent, playing two of the world's best golf courses, playing in a a big tournament, but unfortunately, Owen, it didn't quite all go to plan, did it? No, Kieran, I was uh,
1: very fortunate to be playing the south-east of England Lynx Championship. Um, Played my two practice rounds at Royal St. Ports and Royal St. George's, which obviously are great. Great golf courses and uh, decided to try and jump the seawall to get on the beach at Deal where we were staying and tore my groin muscle. So um, (laughs) um, it was a short lived uh, um, go at those two golf courses. I did play actually St. Ports the next day, which was uh, I'm sure the doctors would not advise that. And um, I'm now suffering the consequences. So uh, I'll be back next year to give it another go, I'm sure, because they are really great, great golf courses.
0: Yes, you'll certainly be trying to seek redemption next year. But again, it just shows to me that Golf really is an athletic sport when you can get injuries as severe as that. Really, you know, it's remarkable stuff. But yes, I'm sure you'll be back stronger next year and ready to seek redemption after this year's uh, slightly uh, debacle of a a showing, I guess you could say, after that. But yes, one guy who did not have a debacle at all at the weekend was Siwoo Kim, a guy who we probably don't know much about. Most fans will not know much about him at all, but he came through and he won the Players' Championship at TBC Sawgrass in Brilliant fashion, really impressive stuff from a young man, 21 years of age, who is now the youngest ever winner of the PGA Tour's flagship tournament. He won by three shots in the end ahead of Ian Poulter and Louis Westhazen. And uh, again, extremely impressive. A young guy who he actually qualified for the PGA Tour five years ago. He came through uh, tour tour school and uh, he was only 17 at the time. Uh, he actually wasn't allowed to play on the PGA Tour until he turned 18 and by that point he ended up losing his card and end. seemed a bit unfair but that's what happened And uh, but now he's back stronger than ever he won in the Web.com Tour two years ago played in the PGA Tour last year got his first win at the Wyndham Championship but he hasn't done much at all this year his uh, record has been really poor this season his stats were horrendous before this past week he was ultimately he was down in the 200s on tour from TD Green and a, a few other stat categories so this win really did come out of nowhere but he's someone who has shown now with two wins that he has Real potential to become a big star and we're really looking at Asia now as being the big developing market for golf. We've seen so many great young Asian players dominate in the past 10-15 years on the LPGA Tour and maybe now we're going to see the start of that emerging on the PGA Tour. Obviously we have Matsuyama from Japan and players like him but this guy Siwoo Kim is uh, certainly has the potential to be up there and picking off a win like this in such an impressive fashion, played like a veteran didn't look like buckling at all in the final round, the final nine. Really, really impressive stuff, Owen. And uh, when you see a player like him emerging out of nowhere and winning an event like this, it just shows you the real depth of of talent and quality that there is in the tour. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's just another sign that the the kids
1: uh, and the young guys just aren't scared to win now and the training they're getting, uh, whether it's through the national systems um, in Korea or, or England or the US or the college systems, um, is standing in really good stead. And they just come out and um, are ready to win straight away. Like you said, he had a card when he was 17, uh, wasn't allowed to use it, but has already won twice uh, by the age of 21. I mean, I don't know about you, Kieran, but when I was 21, I wasn't certainly uh, thinking uh, that I could win a PGA Tour event or or anything uh, similar. So uh, it's really impressive stuff.
0: Uh, It certainly is. And uh, I would probably tell you what I could do when I was 21, but it's probably too early in the day for that uh, sort of show. So we'll probably leave that to the... We'll leave that to the post watershed edition of the Golf Shake podcast, which is yet to be released, but I'm sure it'll be entertaining whenever it does appear. But uh, maybe, maybe in the outtakes, perhaps, at the end of the season. But yeah, obviously a great win for him. But actually, on the other end of the spectrum, in terms of careers, a guy who's really old enough to be his father, Ian Poulter, at 41, he has had a remarkable kind of a tumultuous year or so. Last year, he missed four months due to injury, missed out in the Open Championship, came back in this season with a medical exemption. Didn't quite make enough money to keep his tour card, or so he thought. Thought he'd lost it, but then the PGA Tour gave him a reprieve after judging that the way the points were allocated due to the FedEx Cup it wasn't fair on players like him. So Ian Poulter got a reprieve a few weeks ago and actually kept his PGA Tour card. That got him into the Players Championship, and he rolled back the years. He came right; he was right in the mix all week in contention over the weekend. He looked very solid from TD Green, apart from his shank in the last hole, I'm afraid to say, but he looked very good, very composed, and there were flashes of that kind of steely determination that we've seen in the past, particularly in the Ryder Cup, and uh, he came through and he finished second in the end, three shots back alongside Louis Westhazen, but one of the biggest weeks of Ian Poulter's career, uh, that check he got was $924,000, a massive change in fortune from a few weeks ago, he came in here with a fresh attitude, more relaxed, he... Weight off his shoulders, really. I think from uh, the tour card situation, and oh, uh, and Ian Poulter, someone who over the years his career has been quite a remarkable story. He's continued to kind of defy the odds and prove people wrong. And I think again, you know, when you think of what he was a few weeks ago, and now to come through and finish second in an event, an event like the Players, it just shows Owen that Ian Poulter, there's still life in the tank, life in the guy, and he can continue to prove people wrong in the years to come.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we were talking, I think, on the podcast, uh, podcast a, a few weeks ago about Poulter and we were talking about what he had to do to keep his card, which ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we thought he needed to do, which he didn't get done. And then we talked about the next week about his motivation and whether there was any way back for Poulter. And really, we came down to, um, you know, his drivers in the game. You know, what what did he want to get out of the game? Was he really that fussed about getting his card back? Would he go out and grind it out? And as it happens, although he got his card back, it shows that he's still got the ability to go and win uh, massive golf tournaments, whether you know that's competing on the ma- on the major scene or, or for big, big tournaments on the PGA Tour like this. So I think he answered all the questions we had that day about his motivation mm-hmm. and his ability and whether he's still got it. I think he answered them basically all uh, yesterday and over the course of last week.
0: I think so and I think he answered those questions really for himself you know he's had a really tough time off the court on the course and uh, hasn't gone his way in the past year or two and uh, he'd been in decline had fallen down the rankings And he was looking to be on a slippery slope all the way down to the depths of the game. But now he's had this reprieve. He's taken full advantage of that to get, come here and get a big, a big result. That will certainly keep his card this season. So he can now put together a solid schedule. He's going to play a lot in Europe this summer, he said. And uh, I think he's now feeling confident he can get back to, you know, again, Ryder Cup next year. You know, he's, he's been the man over the years for the Ryder Cup. Obviously, perhaps we thought maybe his time had run out having missed out in last year's edition but you know he's a guy with so much experience he, he thrives in that event, thrives in the big occasion and uh, you know maybe he could get back into the Ryder Cup for one last bow next year but certainly his form a lot of people do enjoy following him and seeing what he does and uh, he's a big personality uh, it divides people sometimes but it certainly attracts attention to see him back up playing well is certainly a good thing for the game and certainly people are happy to see that but actually, it's kind of an aside. He was involved as, as usual in some sort of controversy on Twitter where Brandel uh, Shambly, uh, the golf channel analyst and the PGA Tour, he commented after the round by saying that Poulter wasn't playing to win. You know, he cited the fact that Poulter laid up from 230 yards on the par 5 16th, played, played his a tee shot on the 17th to 40 feet from the hole, and then obviously didn't play the 18th hole well at all. So, I don't know if there's anything in that, but certainly it generated a bit of controversy and Poulter reacted to it on Twitter quite uh, quite expertly, I think, and kind of dismissed the, the claims that he was trying to find a, a top finish. But Owen, I'm not sure what you think about that at all, but you know, was Ian Poulter going for a big finish or was he trying to win in the end? I think we said there that he showed he could still play well under pressure. Could, it, could isn't, isn't that right? Yeah, I think so. I'm I not really
1: sure what those comments were about. I mean, he, he didn't take the pin out on 17, but that pin's about two yards from the water on the right. Exactly, so. yeah. I think he just hit some shots that um, the guy's 41 and is very experienced um, would hit. And, you know, the guy behind him is 21, showed no form at all. Um, You know, he's got to think that there is a chance he will slip up and um, Mm -hmm. he needs to be there in case that happens. And, you know, he's just nearly lost his tour card. Um, You know, he'll be be terrified about doing that and and really making a, a meal of the last few holes. So I'm not surprised he played away from a couple of pins. And also, you know, he shanked it on the last. I mean, that's, um, I, if, I don't know whether you ever tried. If you try and shank a ball on pur- purpose, it's almost impossible. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what this, uh, what Chambler was on about. He, I think he's got a, a record for causing controversy himself in, in some of the comments. Uh, and they're not often ones people agree with, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I think we can dismiss that one as, as just, um, you know, a bit of a, bit of a storm in a teacup, really. There's nothing there.
0: Yeah, I think in the end, from where he was a few weeks ago to where he is now, uh, Ian Poulter deserves massive credit for that. And actually, we talk about his game being about putting very much, but actually at the Players' Championship, he got into that position having not hold a putt longer than 20 feet all week. So he didn't quite roll it in on the greens, but from tee to green, he was certainly looking as solid as he has for a very long time. So yeah, a lot of positives for Ian Poulter and all good for him going forward. And actually, over... Uh, and our English player actually on the European Tour, uh, Matt Wallace, he actually came through and he won uh, the Portuguese Open, having led after each round. Uh, a really impressive performance there, a guy who on his rookie year getting his first win on the European Tour, 27 years of age. Actually, I read from uh, Ewan Murray from the Guardian at the Players' Championship that actually there, Chubby Chandler was talking this guy up, saying he's a, a player to watch it. And there he goes and goes out, goes out and actually wins uh, the event that week. So... um Owen, oh, what do you know about Matt Wallace and uh, where's he come from and how does his progress, what does that say about the development in English golf right now?
1: Well, I think he's come through the uh, English system. Um, he's obviously played a lot of the elite amateur uh, events and, and done pretty well and then made his way actually onto a feeder tour called the Alps Tour, which is um, the equivalent of kind of League Two, I suppose, in, in golf terms. It's the third <laughs> tier of, uh, of golf. So you have the European Tour and under that you have the Challenge Tour and under that, there's actually four uh, developmental tours. Um, I'm not quite sure the name of all of them, but you've got the Euro Pro Tour in England, uh, there's a Nordic Tour, and then there's an Alps Tour, uh, which operates around uh, the rest of uh, Europe, um, Spain, uh, Portugal, and then Italy and France, a lot of tournaments. And actually, our very own James Reeson, who we'll be talking to at some point in the future, I'm sure, is playing on that tour. He's been working with us um, to fund his golf or help fund his golf in the past Uh couple of years so we'll we'll talk to him about that tour shortly but Matt Wallace came from the apps tour last year he actually won six times on that tour um five times in a row and then the tour championship so he he obviously knows how to win these tours produce um some great players I know the likes of Westwood and Oostes and Swartstool um have all played Lee Slattery there's there's Graham Storm there's there's a whole host of names that come from this third level they've moved on up and actually this was Matt Wallace's first year on the challenge tour I believe uh, and this was a co-sanctioned um, type event with the European Tour, uh, which is where he's got his start, and he's taken uh, full advantage of it. So it just shows these tours; they have a cut, uh, they have some TV coverage. Um, they're three rounds usually, so you play two rounds, then a cut, TV coverage. You're obviously traveling around just like the main tours, just like the Challenge Tour, the PGA Tour, the European Tour, uh, and it obviously gets these guys ready to win and. Um, you know obviously um emulates what they need to do on the main tour very well because um there's lots of them coming out of these tours and, and winning on the european tour
0: yeah absolutely and he certainly took full advantage of that rare start on the European Tour and uh, like you say there I think these development tours are really the breeding ground for success and certainly for English golf right now we see all the great young players there Fleetwood Hatton guys like that Who, and I think Matt Walsh can now try and get into that same conversation where as a young English guy a win under his belt early on he's got a security now of the European Tour his life's really changed now and uh, he can certainly take advantage of that going forward in the months ahead so uh, exciting times for English golf with another young star potentially emerging But back over to the Players' Championship, Owen And uh, obviously over the years It's been kind of coined and billed As being the fifth major The unofficial fifth major And uh, that's really been a PGA Tour invention I think the PGA Tour has always felt kind of... uh, upset about the fact that uh, they don't run any of the game's biggest events when you think about the four majors and the Ryder Cup, the PGA Tour has no influence on any of them at all, and I think being the world's biggest tour, they feel a little bit left out by that fact, so I think they tried to invent their own major championship, but obviously it doesn't quite have that status, it's obviously a great event, big field, big prize money big prestige, but it's not a major Uh, But oh and obviously the PGA Tour has has talked about trying to make it a a fifth major trying to give it that status and and people do think that should be the case but what are your thoughts on golf having a fifth major if there was to be a fifth major uh, should it be the players championship should uh what what should be the case or or should we just leave it as it is right now what do you think
1: i think um to be honest the the game needs a a fifth major um a bit like a hole in the head to be honest and uh, (laughs) certainly certainly it doesn't need another one in america um, Mm, yeah three already so i think this talk is fabricated the americans may want it um Certainly, uh, you know the American players can be quite insular, and you, you can 't really blame them for that they 've got a fantastic tour, uh, huge crowds all over the place and uh, wherever they go and and, uh, and so you can 't blame them for being slightly insular, but for the the growth of the game and the rest of the world, we certainly don 't need uh, a fifth major in america uh, i don 't personally think we need a fifth major at all. I think one of the great things about golf is that you 've got the record books and mm-hmm. you can always refer to those and um, you know, you can plan the courses the greats have played on. You can also look at the scores they played. I mean, we were, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I was at Royal St. George's and, and Royal St. Port's, and I was looking at the, the opens that they've held and the great amateur championships that both of those courses are held, and you can see the scores, you can you can see the way the courses were laid out, the tees, all this sort of stuff. So I think it'd be, I think it'd be sad if that happened. Um, and I think what, what really needs to happen is we do need um some new life in the majors and i think one in particular and i don't know what you think about this but um the uspga uh muted and there was um there was a lot of talk about um them bringing that uh, particular major around the world and moving to some of the great golf courses around the world and i think that's really uh, where the majors should go and i think that would be a brilliant development in the game if they actually went through and and did something like that and maybe alternated uh, one year playing it in america and then the, the next year taking it uh
0: Everywhere, apart from from uh, Britain, basically. Yeah, I think so. And and that was, again, like you say there, it was actually muted a few years ago, and they were talking about that as a possibility, taking it to potentially Australia at Royal Melbourne as a potential venue, one of the world's great courses. And I think that would actually have elevated the, the PGA Championship from being kind of the, the ugly sister of the four majors, kind of the one that people don't think about as much, it has less prestige, it's less, it's less distinct, put it that way, it feels more like an amped up PGA Tour event than at its own championship. And uh, I think it would certainly have given it an extra bit of distinction, a bit of extra prestige, and would have actually been a, a really exciting development for the game, but that's unfortunately probably not going to happen for at least in the next five, ten years given the way the venues have been already allocated. But certainly that would be a good move for the game. I think one thing it's it's worth noting about the players' championship, I think in the end If we sort of rebooted golf and started all over again, I think the Players' Championship would be a major if we started again because it is the biggest event on the world's biggest tour. But that said, I think if we start the game right now, I don't think the Masters would be a major, being a a small invitational event at a, a golf club in Georgia. I don't think that would actually stand up that way. And I don't think the PGA Championship would be a major either. But in the end, I think as we have it right now, We've had it really for 50, 60 years. These events have been established as being the big four. The history that comes with that, that prestige, the record books, as you say. I think it's important to have continuity in the game. But it does seem unfortunate that, that again, three of them are in the US, when there's so many great venues around the world we, we could potentially go to, so many emer- emerging markets. And I think if we actually started the game again, we'd have the Players' Championship, the Open Championship being the oldest event, probably the US Open as well and then a fourth event that would probably travel between uh, the nations maybe a match play championship for example something a bit different so I think if we started a game again the four majors that we have right now probably wouldn't be what they are but I think now that we have what we have right now and given it's been there for so long that they all have their own identity, and I think we're, we're pretty much settled as they are. The Players' Championship is a big event, a great event, but it's not quite there. And I wonder, Owen, look at the golf course itself, TPC Sawgrass, which has uh, been changed over the years. There's some tweaks this year at the 12th hole, which didn't go down very well. And uh, it's a very tricky golf course, and I don't think many players on tour would say it's their favourite course on tour Do you think the golf course, uh, I also look at the 17th, which is obviously a very iconic hole, but for me, in that position and around the the penultimate hole, it's too much of a gimmick, I think, for a big event to really, uh, it takes away from it a little bit. I know it's great drama and all the rest of it, but I think it's almost too much, too gimmicky. Do you think the golf course actually goes against the Players' Championship being potentially a major or considered that way?
1: Yeah, I think it does. You can tell by the times they've done, you
0: know, major surgery on it that
1: uh, they're not, they're not, happy with it it's not quite right um it's obviously home of the pga tour pga tours based there um a bit like wentworth holding the uh bmw in a couple of weeks time uh, and our own yeah. pga championship it's um yeah it's so yeah i don't think it lends to itself to it at all i don't think the 17th is a great holder like you say it's great drama but uh if you ask the players they probably think it's a touch unfair you can hit a good shot in there uh, and, you know, you get a swirl of the wind and it takes one hop and it's, it's over the back of the green. The, the, there's, there's nothing there that you can actually play a, a safe shot. And, you know, you might say that players that good should be able to hit a wedge on the green from 140 yards, but if the wind swirls and the greens rock hard, mm-hmm. um, it really is quite difficult. So, yeah, I would agree with you on that one. I didn't, some of the changes didn't work for me. I didn't like, some, some of the bunkering was a bit strange. Uh, I thought these kind of tiny circular pot bunkers that were going on they weren't really pot bunkers, were, were a bit odd. Um, you know, mm. and I just, yeah, I, I wasn't convinced about the golf course. I never have been. And I know I know, certainly a lot of the players don't like it at all. So um, that, that, you know, compared to something like Augusta, which does hold a major tournament every year, and people love coming back to that one, uh, which is a truly great golf course, um, you know, Sawgrass isn't anywhere near in that league in terms of quality of golf course. So it would need a change of venue probably if it was going to do that.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's likely to happen either. But yeah, I'm actually mentioning the players there, and, and Pat Perez, who has uh, always been quite outspoken to say the least, he was uh, talking. He shot, I think it was 66 on Saturday, and he he looked uh, upset about it. He felt his golf course, he felt he feels so uncomfortable on it, and he said that the the only guy who likes it is the guy who actually wins on Sunday. So I think that kind of says it all, really. So it's not everybody's favorite golf course to say the least. But uh, again, it has great drama, but it seems almost manufactured drama, and I think that's. Uh, it, takes away from it a little bit becomes too much of a gimmick and uh, so i think yeah i think the golf course it's a, it's a great event it's uh it has a, a unique status on the PGA tour like the bmw has at wentworth and um and actually you can kind of draw parallels between the two because a lot of people don't like the west course that went and it's, it's had so many changes over the years as well so two venues that have uh, been surgically enhanced and tweaked so many times over the years and they never seem to quite get them right so that's perhaps a, a bigger sign for them but looking at the majors themselves though, and obviously great golf courses you've played two of them at the weekend there and uh, I'm actually going to play the, the old course at St Andrews tomorrow When and I thought I'd mention that there tomorrow morning, first thing so, uh, that okay for Sam <laughs> yeah, just drop that in there. So, yeah, that'll be, that'll be an experience and a half. Hopefully I won't put any balls out of bounds off the f- first tee like I did last time I played there, and uh, which is embarrassing, as you know. Is so that I, in I play? Did. I didn't realise that out of bounds was in play off the first tee. It's it, it, it is for some of us, I'm afraid. And the worst thing about it was I actually followed up with another ball out of bounds. I actually hit two balls out of bounds. And the thing is, and the time before I played the first hole at the old course, I hit two balls in the burn. So I'll, I've got nightmares about this, Owen, tomorrow. I'm terrified Well, at least they this must hole. have gone straight. Well, they did, but this, you know, straight, but not actually any height to them at all. They went straight on the ground. I sort of, yeah. You know, so that uh, was, uh, yeah, it's not my favourite hole. That said, I did actually par. I have parred the road hole twice. So there you go. Right. I made eight, eight on the first hole, four on the 17th. So that's a, an odd uh, situation there. But yeah, back to what I was saying there about the golf courses. So many great golf courses in the UK and the United States, haven't hosted a major I think some stand out obviously in the US perhaps the likes of Pine Valley Cypress Point two very exclusive golf clubs that are both very highly regarded in terms of their golf course Cypress Point is obviously a spectacular looking place it makes Pebble Beach look like a, a inner city parkland course it's incredible And, um, but again, neither of those have hosted a major championship. Over here in the UK, there's so many great links courses, obviously, that haven't hosted a major. Look at Royal Dornock, look at Royal County Down in Northern Ireland, obviously. There are many in England as well. So, uh, Owen, in terms of golf courses that you've seen on television or seen pictures of or played yourself, what do you think are the the best golf courses in, in the UK and the US that we haven't seen play, host a major championship?
1: Well, I certainly think in the UK um, there's a couple sprints of mind. I mean, obviously it needs to be around a Lynx course, but um, one, uh, I, I would love to see it to go to the south, see it go to the southwest of England at some point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's two courses there um, Burnham and Barrow and St Enidoc uh, both uh, could be capable of holding, holding that open. I think St Enidoc, the communications eye, the road access would be really tricky, but Burnham and Barrow is one where maybe they don't quite have the room on the golf course for the grandstands, I don't know, or maybe it's just not close enough to a population centre, but that's certainly mm-hmm. um, capable of holding uh, an Open Championship. And, and one I played at the weekend, St. Port's actually has held two Open Championships, but not for a uh, 100 years or so, but um, mm-hmm. that's certainly uh, you know, pretty much on a par, I would say, with Royal St. George. It's a very different golf course, but um, certainly capable of holding one as well. And then if you go uh, further afield, um, you could certainly look at the likes. So we mentioned Royal Melbourne, which is maybe the, the outstanding golf course in the world outside the UK and, and US. I, I can't see um, how that's never going to hold a major. It seems absolutely you know ridiculous that you're going to have a golf course mm. that is that highly thought after, uh, that highly regarded, and is that good and looks that good on TV um is not gonna not gonna hold a major it seems mind-boggling so yeah I do think something needs to be done about it because we do need to utilize these great golf courses for the good of the game and then obviously you've got the, the you know the rise of Asian golf and China becoming a massive player and um again you know some great golf courses in China uh Mission Hills I think the players always rave about so um there's some ones I'd pick out I'm not so much sure in the US I think um you know, if they've got golf courses, I, I Cypress point is spectacular and, and amazingly close to Pebble beach. Uh, if you have ever yep. been to the Monterey peninsula, it's about a two minute drive away, five minute drive at, at best. So, um, you know, and, and there's lots of examples of that in the UK as well. I suppose you've got the hillside and Burtdale and, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of golf courses side by side and St. And, and George's, as we mentioned, um, that, that the, the next one, the next door neighbor could hold it as well. So, um, Cypress Point, a very exclusive members club. I'm, I'm not sure it would ever go there, but it would be fantastic if it did. Um, but I think the great US courses tend to tend to get the majors if they've got the room. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know about you, Kieran, whether whether you've got any to add to that. But that'd be my my picks.
0: Yeah, I think very good ones. And obviously, you mentioned the Royal Melbourne, the Australian Sand belt is the most incredible region for golf. And uh, you see it every year when the European Tour goes down there, and they have the co-sanctioned events with the PGA of Austra- Australasia, and they're the best golf courses you see all year. You know, they're unbelievable, and there's so many of them. And uh, it does seem kind of remiss for the game not to take advantage of that in some way. I know the Presidents Cup has been there, but it doesn't quite have the same status. And uh, you know, incredible golf courses. And I think in the end, there's something different, and it's. Uh, for me as a viewer, I love to watch great golf courses and watch the, the top players in the game try and play them and get their way around them and plot the way around the course. And uh, to me, Royal Melbourne and courses like that are so strategic and so innovative and uh different ways to play them and that certainly makes it very distinct and uh, it would be great also to have a international major and if we had one that would certainly be the standout venue but obviously like you say there's so many of these courses that are are, are great golf courses but don't quite have the infrastructure the space to fit in the grandstands and the big hospitality that you require for a, a major championship obviously and um it would be great to see a, a, great, a great golf course host uh, in our major. And actually, in the end, even the Ryder Cup. You know, so many Ryder Cups have been played at pretty mediocre golf courses. I also remember it a few years ago. It was the Glen Eagles. And actually, the arrival to Glen Eagles that year was actually Carnisti And how great would a Ryder Cup at Carnisti be And that great finish? And uh, it was a shame that they went for the money in the end. They went for Glen Eagles. But for me, the venue and the golf course would have really stood out. And how about a, uh, I ride a cup at the old course at St Andrews. You know, that'd be what a setting that would be. It'd be great. So I think uh, we we don't often take the, the biggest events to the best golf courses. And that's uh, unfortunate that way. But yeah, I would certainly agree with you there and the, the, the courses that you chose, but again, the location, the infrastructure tends to go against them, but certainly the Southwest of England, it seems almost remiss that we don't have one there. Even Wales, you know, Royal Porth calls a great golf course. The senior opens have been there a couple of times. And uh, again, you know, there's great golf courses there as well. So it's, uh, there are many options to have. And um but looking generally Owen now at golf courses, Lynx courses in particular, you know obviously I live in St Andrews so I'm kind of, I have so many golf courses on my doorstep and they're, they're all a little bit different but share the same bit of ground and they'll have a, a different qualities and um, they're all very unique in their own way and um, there's so many great golf courses uh, in Scotland obviously and in England and around the UK. So what are the Lynx golf courses though and obviously you've played two great ones at the weekend and they'll certainly be on your list but what are the best links courses that you've experienced around the UK? Well
1: I'm just going to pick out a few. I mean, I think I mentioned two there in in St Enodoc and Benham and Barrow. If you're ever travelling down yep. to the south west of England um you you must play both of those. They have um two of the greatest finishing stretches of holes I've ever played and in St Enodoc especially um not as quite as tough a stretch of finishing holes as Benham and Barrow, but um spectacular looks over Rock and Cornwall with uh, you know over the estuary it's it's a magical setting and um you know, great great golf courses with uh, great golf golf holes, sorry, with with with, a, with a, a magical view as well. So that that would be one. And then closer to me, I live uh, near Cambridge, um, so I, I access some of the East Coast links quite often. And I think there's there's two I'd pick out. Um, there one being Hunstanton, uh, which is uh, an old old link, straight in, straight uh, straight out, straight back in again. Um, classic uh, clubhouse as well. Just. A fantastic example of Lynx golf, but um, you know, slightly maybe not superior to that, but very different and um, and really hark- harks back to some very old days in golf is uh, rural West Norfolk, um, otherwise known as Brancaster, uh, which is just down the road from Hunstanton. But um, feels like you're going back in time um, when you go there. You get there, and it's um, it's sort of everything that's slightly wrong with golf these days. But it's nice to actually see that history and and how it used mm. to be played. And um, you you get there. Uh, it is kind of uh, Land Rovers and Black Labradors in the car park and you take a wander across the beach onto the first tee and off you go and um, you know, there's there's no one there, there's no one in the clubhouse, I think the bars are hatch um, but you know, you get a sense when you, when you play the game on there, you know, golf's kind of good for the soul you kind of just wander around in a, a two ball only, the tide comes in and out um, and changes the holes or uh, you know, it's almost some of the holes are on an estuary uh, and as the tide comes in they fill up with water, so um, that would be literally like going back in time, I think. And, um, you know, if anyone ever gets a chance to play that golf course, uh, definitely do it. And then, you know, moving up, up, uh, up towards, uh, Scotland and up towards the north of England, I think Gothic Links is one I've played, um, will cost you next to nothing to go and play it on the, uh, Northumbria coast. Um, and I think as you, as you head further north, these golf courses, there's more and more of these great links courses and you'll be able to know more, about these than me but um i think as you head into scotland um there's there's so many great links courses that you can just play for for not a lot of money um mm-hmm. i played one in a in a qualifying event open qualifying event at Pamure, um mm. which i thought was absolutely fantastic just down the road from Carnoustie, uh and basically a world-class links golf course that actually i'd at the time uh, had never heard of and i think that's uh That's a common theme in in Scottish and and probably Irish golf as well. You've got these world-class links courses that uh, you can just uh, rock up at, um, get on, maybe play some twilight golf for for very little money and play some, some great golf courses
0: yeah absolutely and uh, like you said their are is obviously a great golf course and uh, many of the golf courses you mentioned their own fr- are quite highly ranked and the golf shake rankings which are kind of different most places and websites and magazines tend to rank golf courses on their prestigious you know in terms of this is the best golf course and so on but we do it a little bit differently we tend to rate things from actually people who have rated it themselves uh, golf shake visitors and users who have come on rated golf courses in terms of their experience and the value for money and what they got out of it and that's what we rank our, our golf courses on and I think that's more of a, a relatable way of doing it. It's a bit different. So it's about getting value for money, the most overall experience, whether it be in terms of the condition of the golf course, the overall welcome that you had, the facilities there. It's not just about the golf course, it's about the whole package. And that seems to be the what we have in the, go, the golf shake ranking. So if you go and check those, those out, guys, are listening today today, if you want to try and experience a, a great Lynx golf course near you, in whichever region you are in the UK, you will find so many of them listed there on Golfshake and see reviews. Some people who have been there in the past and uh, it's a great resource to, to take advantage of. And uh, for example, Gossip Lynx, you mentioned it, Owen, is 38th in the north of England and uh, Royal Burkdale's 18th in Golfshake overall. So again, great golf course is highly regarded for the overall experience and there, there's different price packages there. Your course is under £100, under £50, uh, good value. We have a twilight offer section as well. Where you can come out and again, particularly in Scotland, we have a lot of a daylight, a long days, you can take advantage of twilight golf in Scotland very well. And that'd actually be where I would start in terms of my favourite courses and, and I've played, uh, particularly actually in the north in the last few years. I've spent a lot of time up in the Highlands of Scotland and uh, everyone talks about East Lovian and St Andrews and even Truin and, and the Ayrshire has been the great regions. But for me, the Highlands really stand out as being a great location. Again, it's slightly out of the way, it's a long journey to get there, but I think there's something kind of rewarding and enriching about that. You kind of feel that like you're on the the end of the world, and it's uh, more rugged and quiet, and um, it's a great experience. And there are so many great golf courses up there. You know, Royal Dornock is probably the most famous one, one of the world's great courses. It's kind of out the way from everywhere else. It's uh, a breathtaking place. I remember the first time I played it, I After about five, six holes, I was just, I was gobsmacked. I thought this is the best golf course I've ever seen. And uh, it is an absolutely stunning place. And it's got some really, it's a really good test of golf. It's tight. It's, the greens are upturned, which is very uh, unique for a Lynx golf course. So there's a lot of real punishing bunkers and the heather everywhere and gorse bushes. It's a tough golf course, but it's really beautiful as well. And um, again, I'd say anybody who wants to play a great golf course, go up to Royal Dornoch. It's a wonderful spot and uh, it'll, you know, it lives up to all expectations. And actually, there's so many great golf courses around that area as well. Just up the road is Brora, which is a, one of the one of the great kind of understated gems of Scottish golf, which is a golf course where it's um, probably, it's the first north I've ever actually been. And it's uh, 20 miles north of Dornoch and it's just... Um, an incredibly rugged golf course. Every hole feels unique and distinct. It's great fun to play, and also has uniquely, it has uh, farm animals on the golf course. There are cows there, there's sheep uh, running about the fairways, eating eating at the eating at the rough, and it has that kind of unique, uh, kind of throwback feel to it. And uh, it's very welcoming. It's very popular nowadays with people who play it to go and play broa as well. And it's uh, it's one of the best golf courses that you may not have heard of. It's a wonderful place, and it's very inexpensive to go and play. And up there as well, you have Castle Stewart, which I think is a modern classic. I think it's one of the best golf courses we've seen in the world in the past 10, 15 years. It's a great design, very playable, off the tee, but very tricky around the greens. It's a stunning property as well, very welcoming, and it's just a a wonderful modern classic. Up there with the likes of King's Barns, I think Castle Stewart is arguably even better than King's Barns. It's still a wonderful spot. Obviously, we've had the Scottish Open there a few times in recent years, and it's... um, it's a really good golf course, really fun to play. I think most people will be able to go there and, and shoot a good score and enjoy the experience. So it's worth visiting. And coming further south, I have to mention St Andrews, obviously. And I love the old course. Uh, it has its all, it has its quirks and whatever else, but for me, it's I love what it represents. Um, again, it's accessible to everybody, great history, to it, obviously iconic, but also it's a, it's a very good golf course in its own right. There's some very good holes in the old course. Um, I think the 14th, of the par five, is one of the best par fives in championship golf. The 12th is the kind of inexplicable par 4, how to play that. I have no idea, but it's a great challenge. The 11th is one of the great par 3s in the Open Championship Rota. And the this Andrews as well, the old course, it's a course that I've got to know better every time I've played it. It's uh, There's so many different ways you can go around and play it. Bo- it's both the widest golf course and also the narrowest. It's a very unique kind of property, that way, very narrow uh, stretch of land, but very wide fairways. And in the end, it's the ultimate risk and reward golf course. You can take the aggressive line off the tee, bringing the bunkers into play out of bounds but you have a better second shot in there or you can play it safe and hit way left in every single hole but you will have the, a very difficult approach in there so I think the old course stands alone as a uh, a strategic test of golf and um, when you play it in a wind it is a real challenge I think actually it's, on a calm day it's quite a straightforward golf course but you, you put a wind on that course with how big those greens are it becomes extremely difficult to play and uh, I'm lucky to pl- go and play there tomorrow morning and uh, I'm looking forward to that immensely because it's a golf course I've taken more out of each time I've played it and uh, it's a great experience and uh, it stands alone that way and obviously there's so many other great golf courses in St Andrews to go and play as well but yeah Links courses, obviously, it's what the UK is most famous for, and, uh, you know, there, there's so many great ones, not just the open rota courses, like Owen said there, like the likes of and so on. Look at East Lovien, you have Gullen right next to Muirfield. Right next to these great golf courses are often ones who are, that are just as good, if not better, and for a better price. So go in the golf sheet rankings, have a look through the, the, the course directory. And you'll find their golf courses that are super brilliant and uh, really good value for money. So please do it this summer this summer around the summertime, time, right into the season. It's a perfect time of year to take advantage of that fact. So Owen, do you have any more golf courses that have come to mind since I was talking there? Are you uh, are no, you happy for our selections?
1: Not really. I mean you, you mentioned that you didn't know how to play the twelfth at St Andrews. It sounded like earlier in the podcast you didn't know how to play the first at St Andrews, so <laughs> <laughs> let alone the twelfth.
0: That's very harsh but fair one, <laughs> I've got to say. Actually, uh, I think, actually, I think well, harsh, just uh, we're just talking
1: about golf courses side by side as well. One, one stretch that uh, there's obviously two stretches of three golf courses in England. There's um, the ones I played at the weekend, which is St. Port's, Royal St. George's, and then Prince's. That basically you can drive down one road that will go to all three golf courses uh, and they basically mm. back onto each other. But the ones that really back onto each other is um, Southport and Ainsdale, Hillside and Birtdale, and there is a little rickety wooden fence that separates those three golf courses in a row, uh, and you'll never get a, a, a finer stretch of three golf golf courses in Lynx land uh, almost anywhere in the world uh, to put three golf mm. courses on, I wouldn't imagine. So uh, they, they'd be three that um, you could happily go and spend a long weekend in Southport and um, and play those three golf courses and play through the best examples of Lynx courses in, anywhere in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and again, there's so many like that. Obviously, like you said, a lot of these links courses tend to be uh, positioned in little clumps together. You know, East Lothian is known as Scotland's golf coast. There's so many golf courses on this very narrow stretch of coastline from uh, Muirfield to Gulland to North Berwick, and uh, they're all they're all great. Then again, in the northeast, you have uh, Royal Aberdeen, uh, Merker Links, Cruden Bay, which is a kind of a cult favourite. Obviously, Trump Internationals up there as well, kind of a different end of the spectrum. And obviously, Ayrshire, you have Royal Troon, Prestwick. They obviously a great classic old-fashioned golf course down towards Turnberry and a few hours in between and obviously here in Fife at St Andrews obviously you have the six uh, really now the seven links courses at St at Andrews Links. Uh, they're all great you know Jubilees a real test of golf the new course is a, a classic design the oldest new course in the world really you know it seems a bit daft to call it that but it is newer compared to the old course but it's great and uh, probably a more conventional golf course than the old course uh, a lot of people like it better than the old uh, I'm not one of those necessarily but it's a very good test of golf nonetheless Obviously, Kingsbarns up the road, and then there's other golf courses down the road like Crail and so on. And there's so many down there at the five coast towards Edinburgh. So uh, again, there's so many great links courses around the UK, and uh, again, they tend to be better value, and uh, you can get twilight deals as I said before. And uh, there's so much to enjoy and experience. And in the end, when you play a golf course, and right now actually it's raining here today, Owen, but. Uh, for once and believe- In St Andrews in the, in the last two months It has barely rained And the golf courses Are playing firm and fast They have that wonderful Yellow tinge to them And when you have A Lynx golf course it's playing that way It's running It's fast There's a bit of breeze There's no better way To test your game There's no more Kind of enjoyable way The variety of shots That are required The, the kind of Mental approach to it there's so much fun and enjoyment in there that I think you just don't quite get when you play an inland golf course and uh, so Link's course, you course, know, if you don't play them regularly, if you, if you live in, in the middle of the country and you are know, try and get out to the coast this year, tick some off, there's, there's so many to play and uh, you, you'll certainly enjoy it. So Owen, again, a lot of great golf courses and um, you played two at the weekend there, wasn't necessarily the, the best overall experience but you'll certainly go back there next year and try and make the most of it. So um, Owen, thanks again for your time today in the Golf Shake podcast um, We could talk for hours About all the great golf courses That we've played And the ones we actually Still want to go and play There's so many of them And obviously A great week for golf The Players Championship Was there Now we're heading towards The BMW Wentworth Now right into the heart of May I know the weather Isn't necessarily great Today or this week But when you can Try and get out there Try and own the approach in Golf Shake Record your greens And regulation stats And have a chance To get a place On the Golf Shake North and South match Coming up in a few weeks time Obviously a great event that will be Celebrating the 10th Anniversary of Golf Shake So obviously you guys, and hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Get out there and play well and uh, enjoy the game. Thanks a lot, everybody. Cheers.